0: We appreciate uh, your family, uh, Kevin Previtt, pastor at uh, Lighthouse Baptist, uh, fellow uh, uh, Southern Baptist Church, and it's wonderful to see a young person making a commitment to uh, to follow the Lord in a mission endeavor. And as she said, uh, you know, she doesn't know all the details at this point. She's still looking for the Lord to uh, lead her more directly in this, and, and I'm certain that that will happen in time and uh, we're going to have uh, we're going to have uh, Lauren up on the screen occasionally, just a reminder for you to pray uh, for her uh, she's going to be in our prayer uh, room and if, and by the way, if you haven't been in the prayer room we've got a prayer room right here, all kinds of things for you uh, to pray for We'll be praying for her on Wednesday evenings uh, when we meet t- together but uh, we're grateful uh, uh, for her and um, uh, Today, we're going to continue in the book of Acts. If you have your Bible, let's, let's get our Bibles and let's look to Acts chapter 26. And we are going to be looking at a rather unusual passage of Scripture today. Paul is not only preaching to people who are skeptical about his message. He is preaching to people who doubt his sanity. And so the title of the message this morning is, Are You Out of Your Mind? That's a question that people ask when they encounter someone or something that they don't really understand, that they can't comprehend. Uh, are, you, are you out of your mind? When people don't understand something clearly, uh, they, they say things like, you know, you, you're, you're nuts, You're crazy. You have a screw loose. Well, you must have lost your mind. His name was Milton Wright. He was the bishop of an evangelical church in Ohio, and he wrote in the late 1800s in a publication of his his denomination's publication. He wrote an article stating why mankind will never be able to fly. And he used as his uh, source the Bible. And he said that, uh, angel, that the flight is reserved for the angels. Now, you remember that this was in the late 1800s. And I told you that his name was Milton Wright. Well, on December 17th, 1903, uh, his two sons took a trip to Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, and where they appeared in what would become uh, one of the most famous photographs in the world. And this is a, a, a picture of his son Wilbur flying, and his other son Orville is watching. And, and that day, Wilbur Wright got their plane off the ground and flew for 12 seconds and a distance of 120 feet the, that, this was, a, it was an amazing accomplishment because this was the first time in history that someone had been able to fly in an aircraft that was self-propelled. And after Orville and Wilbur took that trip to North Carolina, they came back to their home state of Ohio, and they rented a field right outside of Dayton. And they began to perfect their aircraft's flying ability. And pretty soon, they had that aircraft flying until they ran out of fuel. And after they got that, uh, that plane flying consistently, they began to travel all over the world and do demonstrations for crowds of people, for kings, for uh, presidents, for dignitaries of all types. They were hailed as heroes. But until that plane flew people said, you're nuts. You're crazy. You're out of your mind. Even their own father said to his sons, have you lost your minds? You see, that's what people say when they encounter something that they don't really understand, that they can't fully comprehend. And and that's what was happening with the apostle Paul as he is preaching standing before the governor a man named Festus and Agrippa the king of Galilee and his sister Bernice who was also his wife and, and Paul was preaching in front of this these people and other prominent people in in uh, Caesarea and when they heard him When he begins to talk, he's interrupted in the middle of his speech by Festus. And we want to pick up here in in Acts chapter 26 and verse 24. Acts chapter 26 and verse 24. And while Paul was saying this in his defense, Festus said in a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most Festus, most excellent Festus, but I utter words of sober truth. For the king knows about these matters, and I speak to him also with confidence, since I am persuaded that none of these things escape his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. And Agrippa replied to Paul, in a short time, Will you persuade me to become a Christian? And Paul said, I would wish to God that whether in a short or long time, not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. And the king stood up, and the governor and Bernice, and those who were sitting with him, and, they, and they, when they had gone aside, they began talking to one another, saying, This man is not doing anything worthy of death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Let's pray. Father, it's wonderful to hear your children singing this morning. Glory to your name. Honoring you and exalting you. Certainly, you are worthy of all of our praise, all of our adoration. You're worthy of all glory. You are the God who loves us, who has sent your only Son into the world on our behalf and made it possible for us to have a, a relationship with you and to live with you forever. And Father, we, we know that the world doesn't understand this. And and we just pray, God, that you would help us to be willing to be faithful to who we are as your children and to proclaim that to this world in spite of those facts. Father, we thank you today for for Lauren Previtt and for the commitment that she has made to follow you. Thank you for the preparation that she has made thus far. We pray that you'd help her to complete those preparations, that everything would fall into place. We pray that you and your sovereignty would would guide her and direct her to the place where you want her to be, that she would have an encounter with the right people, uh, that her experiences be such that you would use that to direct her and show her where you want her to serve. Lord, we pray your protection over her life and that you would uh, uh, guard her and help her to be able to find that place where you have for her I, even that possible mate lord in the, in the future that might uh, minister with her. We just pray that you would take care of all of these things. We thank you for that we pray for for mom and dad for family that uh, as they uh, as they give their child to this great endeavor and so Lord, thank you for these people here that have gathered today. And Lord, we ask you in the name of Jesus to help us to understand what it is you want us to hear today through your spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul says to Festus, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. And I really, I have no doubt that the Agrippa... And all these other dignitaries that are surrounded there in that, uh, in that auditorium think that Festus has hit the nail on the head. This guy is kind of out of his mind. He, he's not acting rationally. And, and, I, and I want to talk to you uh, about this, this idea. Because, you see, if you, if you live for Jesus... If you stand for Jesus, if you speak out for Jesus, if you live it out, there are going to be people in this unsaved world who are going to look at you and they're going to say, you're out of your mind. This this is, The way you're living is not sane. And, and I want to talk to you about three values that God wants us to have in our lives, but that often look like insanity to a lost world. And the first value is this: a personal experience with the risen Jesus. You see when you say that you have had a personal experience with the risen Jesus, that often looks like insanity to a world that doesn 't understand even who jesus is but when but but you see that 's exactly what Paul was doing; he was telling Festus. That he has had this personal experience, and that is the reason for all the things that he is doing. It's important to remember where Paul is and what is happening in his life as we come to Acts chapter 26. You may remember from past weeks that Felix, the governor of of, uh, Judea, has had Paul before him, heard his case... But he doesn't want to make a ruling. He, 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 he Kind of like Pontius Pilate years before, he kind of finds himself caught in a kind of a no-win situation. If he, if he lets Paul go, then he's going to infuriate the Jewish leaders. And that's probably going to cause a rebellion in Jerusalem. And that's going to be bad press for him back in Rome, who already things are not too good for him there anyway. On the other hand, he can't just condemn Paul because he's a Roman citizen. There aren't any uh, substantial charges, and there's no evidence. So he's kind of caught between. so so, so, So Felix decides to put off making a ruling. And what does he do? He just keeps him in kind of a protective custody, but he gives him lots of liberty, freedom. And so Paul has been living in Caesarea as a prisoner of Rome, For two years, no decision has has been made. And then Felix gets called back to Rome, and a new governor comes in, a man named Festus, and he's appointed over Judea. And when Festus arrives, he goes to Jerusalem because that's the primary city. That's the people he's going to be interacting with. And while he's there, the Jews accuse Paul before him. And they say, bring him to Jerusalem and let him stand trial before us. But Festus says, no, if you want to prosecute him, you're going to have to come to Caesarea uh, to do so. And so, um, uh, when Festus gets back to Caesarea, he takes his seat on the tribunal. He orders Paul to be brought in. And once again, the, the Jews began to bring charges against Paul, charges which they couldn't prove. And though it's, it's very clear to Festus, Paul has done nothing. You see, he wants to start off right with these in his new uh, position. He doesn't want to offend the Jews. He doesn't want to get them upset. And so wanting to do them a favor he he asked paul says will you go to jerusalem and stand trial paul realizes immediately i'm never going to get a fair trial there and so paul appeals to caesar as a roman citizen paul appeals to caesar festus says okay i grant your request now festus is a roman he didn't understand anything about the jewish people he didn't know anything about their ways, and so when King Agrippa and his uh, sister/slash wife Bernice come to Caesarea to pay their respects, he takes the opportunity to consult with Agrippa because Agrippa is considered an expert in Jewish affairs. And he and, he, and when he when he presents his case uh, to uh, to uh, the case about Paul to Herod or to this Agrippa, Herod, he says, man, I want to hear his case. I want to hear this. I've been wanting to for a long time. Now think about who Herod is, Herod Agrippa. Does that name sound familiar when you hear a Herod? Well, there's a long line of Herods in the New Testament. This Herod is the last Herod that we see in New, New Testament history here agrippa the first his father was the herod who killed james and had peter arrested and you remember he was also eaten by worms because he failed to give god glory that's agrippa the first his great uncle herod antipas was the ruler who had john the baptist beheaded and he also was the one who tried jesus then there was the great-grandfather, Herod the Great. He was the guy that ruled at the time that Jesus was born. He's the guy that killed all the babies in Bethlehem, trying to, to kill the king of the Jews. So you got this long line of, of Herod's here. And Agrippa's private life was, was scandalous. He and Bernice were brother and sister, and they were living in this weird, incestuous relationship. Uh, Bernice would occasionally leave her brother and go and be mistress to other men. She had been mistress to the the Caesar at that time, Vespasian, and then she was the mistress of his son, the Roman general Titus. But she would always come back to Agrippa. It was a rather uh, sordid situation. And Bernice was such a scandalous person that when Titus brought her to Rome, even the pagan people said, you can't have that woman here. We're not having her around. That's the kind of person that she was. And when Festus told Agrippa, he says about Paul's case, he said, man, I, I got to hear this guy. And so Festus says, yeah, tomorrow you get to hear him. So the next day, we pick up in, in chapter 25 and verse 23, King Agrippa and Bernice, well, they come into the auditorium with great pomp. Now, that word pomp is interesting because it, it translates the Greek word fantasia. Have you, ever, have you ever heard seen the Disney movie Fantasia? Well, it's a kind of a, a pageantry of, of animation. And that's really what the word means. It means, a, it means great, uh, showy, grand pageantry. And, what, and that's exactly what it was. This is the opportunity, you see, for for this royalty uh, and the elite to show off their wealth and their power. And they're coming into this auditorium. It's kind of like you're you know the the night on the red carpet. Uh, they they're all decked out in their best clothes. They're wearing their their long robes, their crowns, their their jewels. They're carrying their scepters. You know they're just coming in and all this pageantry not only the kings and the and the but all the romans that are there the roman soldiers the, the honor guard i mean it's 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 an incredible thing that is happening and then when everyone is seated then then festus orders paul to be brought in and, and the contrast could not be more striking into the midst of the assembly hall comes this Jewish man who has who has been described as short, bald bow legged and physically unimpressive and he 's in chains. this guy' is standing out in the middle, and everybody is resting to the hill, watch looking this guy. This is an incredible picture if you can if you can see that in your mind, and here Paul is given. An opportunity to speak the gospel to people he would never, in any other circumstance, ever have an opportunity to speak to. He would never run into these guys on the street. He'd never strike up a gospel conversation with one of these guys. But now, he has the opportunity to speak the gospel in this context and 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 as paul has done on at least two other occasions in the book of acts paul begins by telling his story of his trip on the road to damascus and and there he is jesus christ the the risen lord encounters him and he and we pick up there in acts chapter 26 and verse 14 and he says he hears this voice from heaven. He sees this light from heaven shining brighter than sun, and he heard a voice of Jesus, the risen Lord, saying in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but get up and stand on your feet for this purpose. I have appeared to you To appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things which I will appear to you. Do you hear that? Jesus is going to appear to him. Rescuing you. From the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. And then Paul says, O King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedience to or disobedient to the heavenly vision you know what Paul's saying? The risen Jesus intercepted my life. He changed the course of my life. He directed me a different way. And everything that I am doing now, I'm doing at his command. I'm doing what Jesus wants me to do. That's why I'm here and paul is is simply describing a personal experience that he had with Jesus, but now verse twenty four while Paul was saying this in his defense, Festus said in a loud voice, "Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is is driving you mad Paul I mean paul, you've studied too much, you've broken your brain. I mean, you seem like an otherwise intelligent person." But if you are saying that some guy that was executed by a former Roman governor has now risen from the dead and he's talking to you, you're mad. You're out of your ever-loving mind. See, that's the way the world looks at Christians. If you make that claim that you've had a personal experience with Jesus, when you, when you say that, that Jesus speaks to you and that you speak to Jesus, people will say, you're out of your mind. In fact, you know what? That happened in our country in a very public way this year. Back in February, on a television show called The View, several women were having a conversation about Vice President uh, Mike Pence. Now, this is not a political story, uh, but it's a story about Mike Pence as a believer. And and the conversation was about his claim as a Christian that, that Jesus spoke to him, and that he spoke to Jesus, and that he did, sought to obey what Jesus told him to do. Now, that's where the conversation began, and one of the hosts, co-hosts said, well, I have a problem with having a vice president who believes that Jesus speaks to him. Another co-host, Joy Behar, said, well, it's one thing to talk to Jesus, but it's another thing When Jesus talks to you, she said, that's mental illness, hearing voices. Now, let me finish before you get too upset. The the next day, uh, Vice President Pence was on C-SPAN, and he was asked about what had happened on The View the, the previous day. And he said, well, I'm not insulted for myself, he says, but, but for the majority of the American people who have a, a faith relationship and hold that very dear, he says, I'm, I'm insulted on their behalf. Well, Joey Behar called the vice president, of course, after some you know uh, conversation and so forth in the news. And he said this, quote, you have to give her credit. She called me. And she apologized. She seemed very sincere in what she said. And he said further, my faith teaches me to show grace and to forgive as we are forgiven, end quote. A few days later, she went on her television show and she said, I'm sorry for what I said. I should not have said it. Now that story ended about as good as a story like that can end. But listen, here's the point. What joy Behar said out loud is what many people are thinking but aren't saying they're thinking he's out of his he's out of his his gourd he's out of his mind but let me tell you Jesus speaks to me I don't pray to a silent God I don't worship a distant God that's out there somewhere. I don't serve a God that's not alive. I serve a real and and risen Savior. And I I personally, I can say exactly what Paul said. I can say that Jesus came and intercepted my life. I was headed my own way, and he met me. He he stood right in front of me through the circumstances of my life, and he intercepted my life. and He talked to me about my sin. He showed me how I was in in disobedience and rebellion against him. I was kicking against the goads. I was fighting against him, right, in his direction in my life. And then uh, he showed he spoke to me in my dialect you know what he did? He gave me his word translated into English so I could hear it and, and read it. And when he spoke to me, then he used other people who spoke his word to me and he, and he transformed my life and then he put me into his service. That's my claim. And I'd say that I'm here today doing what I'm doing because that's what he directed me to do. And Lauren, what's she doing? She's, she's saying, I'm following Jesus. I'm, I'm looking for him to direct me to do what he wants me to do. That's where we all are as believers, right? But listen, when you say that Jesus speaks to me and I speak to Jesus and I'm obeying him, there are be people look at you and say, you are out of your mind. Religion says you talk to God, but relation says God speaks to you. Now, you know what? I can sing a song. If I could sing, I'd sing this song for you, but I can't. Listen, look at this thing. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living whatever men may say, right? Right? Whenever I see his hand of mercy, I hear his voice of cheer, and just the time I need him, he's always near. You believe that? He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. That's the message. He lives, and he walks with me, and he talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives. He lives salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives? He lives Within my heart, I have had a personal experience with Jesus Christ, the Risen Lord. How about you? Now, now, if you haven't, you probably look at me and think you are out of your mind. You probably think of that anyway. But <laughs> you see, He's not just somebody that we talk to that doesn't talk back, but. When you say that, people will say, you're out of your mind. There's something else that seems like insanity to a lost world. And that is a consuming desire for others to know Jesus. You see, when you have a consuming desire for other people to come to know Jesus and to be saved and to live that out, then there are going to be people that are going to say, man, that's insanity. And and that's what it seemed like to the people who were listening to Paul. In verse uh, 25 of Acts chapter 26 Paul says, but, but, I, but Paul said, I am, not, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I utter words of sober truth. See, that's a contrast to being out of your mind. And when he turns to Agrippa and, and, and Bernice, he looks at two people who have at least some understanding of where he's coming from because they are Jewish people. Now, remember, Festus is, is Roman. He, he doesn't understand any of this stuff. But, but Agrippa and Bernice at least have the context of Jewish the Jewish religion and Jewish culture. And, and so look at verse 26. He says, For the king knows about these matters. And I speak to him also with confidence since I am persuaded that none of these things escape his notice for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, I know that, that you are the king here in Galilee. I know that you have heard about Jesus. You heard that he claimed to be the son of God. You heard about all these miracles that he did. You heard about his teaching. You heard, you know he went to the cross and he died and was crucified. You know what that's claimed. That he rose from the dead. And that he claims to be the Lord, the Messiah. You know that. And because it just happened right here in your jurisdiction in verse 27, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? He, he's saying, You know, do you believe what the prophets have said about the Messiah? He says, I know you do. Do you listen? If do you believe the Bible? Do you believe what the Bible says? See, that's the question. And, and, and Agrippa, King, verse 27, King Agrippa, he says, do you believe the prophets? And in verse 28, Agrippa replied to Paul, in a short time, will you persuade me to become a Christian? Listen, don't misunderstand what Agrippa was saying. Many of you have probably heard a, 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 a sermon Almost persuaded. But listen. Listen very carefully. Agrippa is not saying to Paul, you've almost persuaded me to become a Christian. The word Christian is used three times in the entire Bible. And every time that it is used, it is used as a term of derision for people who follow Christ. It's used as an insult. And, and Agrippa is saying... I'm with Festus here. Paul, you are out of your mind if you think that you can come in here in just a short time make me into a Christian. He's not almost persuaded. He's, 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 he's offended because Paul would think that it was a possibility, think he's a, some kind of fool. In verse 29, Paul says, I I would wish to God that whether in a short time or a long time, not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Now, I can see Paul standing there in those chains, surrounded by all these prestigious people in Caesarea, and these people who thought he was crazy. And, and he looks at this man who has ridiculed him. And, he's, and he, he's come from this long line of leaders that have persecuted God's people. And he's standing there looking at a man who is living in, a, in a, an incestuous relationship. A man who is, who is proud and arrogant And he says, I wish to God that you could come to know Jesus. I wish you could be like me in that regard, except for these chains. And he looked at Bernice, a woman who who people gossip about and mocked and shunned. And he says, my greatest desire is for you to become a follower of Jesus. And he looks at Festus, who's sitting in judgment over him, and he's saying, my greatest desire is that you will not have to sit under the judgment of God. You see, Paul had this consuming desire to see other people come to know Jesus Christ. That's why he was doing all that he was doing. That was Paul's heart. And and, and he tells us a little more about that in Romans chapter 9. Paul is going to say something that is so astounding, so amazing, that it's going to sound like he's totally out of his mind, that he has to preface it with several phrases. And he says, I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Does that sound like insanity to you? Do you know what the word cursed means? It means to be devoted to the glory of God by destruction. It means to go to hell. It means that he's saying, if I could... I would be cut off from Christ. I would go to hell so that my kinsmen could be saved. Now, I'll tell you the truth. I'm not there. There's part of me that wants to say, Paul, are you out of your mind? I don't know. I can't imagine that. Now, I do want to see people saved, and there's a lot of things I would do to see somebody saved. But going to hell... I don't know. And you see, it wasn't possible because Paul was saved. He couldn't be cut off from Christ. Uh, He couldn't go to hell. But he's saying that that's my heart. That's my desire. And if you think about it, Paul had the very same heart that God had. Because what did God do? God gave his own son to come into the world and to take upon himself on the cross all of our sin, all of our punishment, all of our hell. He did that. In that short time, the eternal God took upon him all the sin of all ages, of all people. And he accomplished that. And Paul has, a, has the heart of Christ. And, you know, don't miss Paul's heart. Because that's the heart that God wants us to have. He wants us to be be able to say, you know, whatever it costs, whatever it takes, I I, want to see people saved. And when you come to that place in your life, when you're willing to do just about anything to reach people with the gospel, when you're willing to be ridiculed, when you're willing to be misunderstood, when you're willing to put a relationship at risk for the, for the sake of being able to share the gospel, you know what? People are going to look at you and they're going to say, you are out of your mind. That's not sane. Paul had a consuming desire to see other people saved. Dr. E.V. Hill was an African American pastor. He served for many years in the Los Angeles community of Watts. He was a powerful preacher of the Word of God. And back in the '60s and late '60s and early '70s, when the race riots were going on there in Watts, um, there was there were threats to the lives of many of these African-American pastors. And they were threatened that if they associated with white people, and especially with white pastors, uh, that they would be killed. And one black pastor had already been killed. And the rumor on the street was that E.V. Hill was the next. He was next on the list. And, and indeed, in a, in a few nights... In the middle of the night, he got a phone call. It was an anonymous caller threatening his life. It said he was going to be killed the next day. His wife sat up in bed and she said, what was, What's going on? What happened? He didn't want to tell her, but she persisted and he eventually said, uh, He told her that someone had threatened his life. That they said they were going to kill me tomorrow. They had difficulty going back to sleep, obviously, but after when they woke up, when he woke up, he said, I, I woke up just glad to be alive. And he said, I looked over and realized my wife wasn't in bed with me. I got up and went through the house. I couldn't find her anywhere. He said, I look out in the driveway, and I realized that my car was gone. He said, I came a little panicky. I started getting dressed, and about the time I got dressed, my wife pulled into the driveway. And when she came in, I said, where have you been? I've been worried to death. And she said, well, I got to thinking that If somebody might put a bomb in your car and if, you know, you got in and started to explode and you'd be killed. She says, well, I got in the car and I drove it around for a while and everything's okay. And Evie Hill said, from that moment, I never had to ask my wife if she loved me. I knew that she loved me. Paul had an even greater love for people than that. He he would have given his own soul for their salvation. I have no, you know, I have no power in myself to give anybody a desire. You know, you don't, you don't even have power yourself, do you? You don't have power to give anybody a desire. And you, you want to stand and preach a message and, and talk about desire? How do you give people a desire? I can't give anybody a desire. I don't have that power. I can't give myself a desire. But you know what? God can. And, and my prayer is that as we hear this, as we hear God's heart, that He uses that and He creates in us. A heart for lost people. I pray that God would give us a consuming desire for those kids in Taze Valley Elementary School. Scott Taze Elementary. I mean, folks, we, we, have, a, we have a ministry there. It's called Good News Club. We've been doing it for many years now. We go after school, and we have about 70 kids who come, and we get to present the gospel to them in a a public school right after after school. This year is the first year that we are at the point where we, we almost may have to. We may have to cancel doing that. We don't have enough workers. And I just pray that somehow that God would give us a passion, a consuming desire, no matter what it costs, to be able to take the gospel to those kids. I pray that God would, would give us a heart for the people of Scott Depot so that when we meet over there in that gym in the coming winter, I mean, every Saturday with all those, I mean, it's packed full of people that are lost, that need Jesus, that God would give us a consuming desire to go over there, interact with them, talk with them, look for opportunities, share the gospel, not just play basketball or do cheerleading, I pray that God would give us a heart for for the people of West Virginia so that we wouldn't just look at an offering like a a few bucks in a plate and let them all the people go worry about the people in West Virginia. I, I pray we'd have a heart for the people of West Virginia. What about our nation that's falling apart, that so desperately needs Jesus? God, give us a desire, a consuming desire for people to be saved. Give us that desire that you put in Lauren for the people, for the nations. And there's a, there's, a, there's a third value that God wants us to have, and I think it's this, a sacrificial commitment to obey Jesus. In verse 30, it says, the king stood up and the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with them And when they had gone aside, they began talking to one another, saying, this man has done nothing worthy of death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. They they thought he was out of his mind, but they knew he hadn't done anything worthy of imprisonment. And and legally, I mean, Festus could have set him free, but that may have been seen as an offense to the the emperor, so he doesn't do it. Still, they, they, they thought Paul was out of his mind for appealing to Caesar. But here's what they don't get. This is what they missed. This is what you should not miss. They thought that Paul was telling his story so that he could get out of his chains. But the reality is Paul got in his chains so that he could tell his story. Paul was willing to go there so that and sacrifice his freedom so that he could tell the story to a people that would never have heard the gospel. And you think about it, that's often what missionaries do. They sacrifice their life to be able to go to places where other people would never ordinarily have an opportunity to hear the gospel. And Paul was one of those people. He's standing there in chains, the captive. But the captive now has a captive audience. They're listening to this man speak the gospel. And he knew that if he remained in those chains after appealing to Caesar, that he was going to go not only from there, but he was going to go into the very courts of Rome itself, into the halls of Caesar where he would be able to speak the gospel. It would cost him his life. It would cost him his freedom. But he would go. Because he had a sacrificial commitment to obey Jesus. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7, Paul says this. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I counted all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Does that sound like insanity to you? You've got to be out of your mind to give up everything so that people can hear about Jesus. You gotta be out of your mind. And when you say something like that, why your your family and people that you work with and people that are around you, they're gonna say, Man, you gotta screw loose. Something's wrong. But she you know something they don't know. You know the surpassing value. Of knowing Christ Jesus. It's a surpassing value. It's worth more than anything in this whole world. What, what, what shall a man gain if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? You know the surpassing value of that. In the early 1900s, a 16 year old boy by the name of William Borden graduated from the Hill School in uh, Pottstown, Pennsylvania. It was a prestigious boarding school. Young William was the heir to the Borden family fortune. I'm sure you've heard of Borden. And he had a clear path to wealth and success laid out before him. But before Borden began his Ivy League education at Yale University, his parents sent him on a round the trip, uh, around the world trip for his graduation high school graduation gift and earlier in warden's life about about the same time as lauren came to know jesus about 12 years old he was came under the influence of d.l moody the ministry of d.l moody and he made a commitment to christ and when he went on this trip around the world he began to see a part of the world he had never imagined. He started seeing people hurting. He started seeing people without Jesus, seeing how dark the world really was. And something happened that nobody expected. William Borden wrote a letter to his parents saying that he was wanted to commit his life to become a missionary to the nations of the world. And one of his friends remarked, when they heard it, he's throwing his life away. He said, he, he's out of his mind. Upon his return, Borden went to Yale University and graduated. Then he went to uh, Princeton Theological Seminary. That was back when the days when it was actually a seminary. And he graduated from there. With his ministerial preparation completed, he boarded a ship to Asia with a commitment to minister to Muslim people in China's um, Gansu province, Muslims in China. And along the way, he stopped in Egypt for a period to learn the Arabic language, because he was going to minister to Muslim people. And while he's there in Cairo, at the age of 25, he contracted spinal meningitis, and within a month, he died. Most people regarded the death of William Borden as a tragedy of a wasted life. But God took that tragedy and he did something amazing. When the young men and women of America read William Borden's story in the newspapers of America, it moved the hearts of Many thousands, literally thousands of young people, thousands of young people, made a commitment to go to the mission field, to prepare and go to the mission field. It was an amazing thing that happened, and it 's been told that at key points in, in william borden 's life that he wrote a series of phrases in the back of his Bible. And when he struggled with, you know, making this commitment to become a missionary, of giving up, of relinquishing the family fortune, and becoming a missionary against the strong disapproval of his father, it is said that he wrote in his Bible, "No reserve. No reserve. I'm, I'm not keeping anything for myself. I'm willing to give up an, an, a, a family fortune." No reserve. And then toward the end of his time at Yale, when he started a a Bible study and three-quarters of the student population attended, he wrote in his Bible, no retreat. I'm not turning back. I'm going to keep on going. And then as he lay dying of spinal meningitis, he used the last energy of his life to scribble in the back of his Bible the words, no regret. No reserve, no retreat, no regret. What seems like insanity to an unsaved world makes perfect sense to God. When you say, I want to have a personal relationship with with the risen Lord, the God who raised Jesus from the dead for that very purpose, says that makes perfect sense. When you say, I want to have a consuming desire for others to know Jesus, even when they ridicule me, It makes perfect sense to a God who sent His own Son into the world and who was ridiculed and and suffered and died in our place. It makes perfect sense to Him. The, The God who loves the world and wants them to be saved. And at the end of His life, He said, I don't care what this world thinks about me, but I do care what the... God, who made me, thinks about me. And He says, I have no regrets. Now, friend, I want to tell you when you can lay on your deathbed and you can say, No regrets, that's going to be huge. That's going to be awesome. No reserve, no retreat, no regrets. Can you say that? And for all honest, we probably, most of us, can't. But you know what? Why did God put this in the Bible? Why did God preserve this for us? Because God uses His Word and He uses His Spirit. When we hear God's heart, God uses that and He gives us His heart, He gives us His values. That's the value of being under the preaching of the Word of God because that's what it does. God will do that. Maybe today you're a little stronger than you were when you came in here. You were a week, week before. That's the way God works. And maybe you're here today and you have never, you, you don't have that personal experience with Jesus. I mean, you've heard about people, you've heard them say that they do, but you've never experienced that. You know what? Today you can you can have a real relationship with Jesus because the stirring that's in your heart right now, the thinking about this right now, well, that's him. He's speaking to you. You know in the depth of your being, you need that relationship. But you need eternal life. He's speaking, God, the God. Well, people might think you're out of, you, people think I'm out of my mind. Yes, but you know God's really speaking to you. Trust him. Be obedient. Do you have a consuming desire to see other people saved? How does that get expressed in your life? How are you using it? Are you speaking the gospel to anyone? Are you serving in a ministry where you can do that? Listen, do that. Are you willing to make a sacrifice to do that? What are you willing to give up? You know, they tell us the most precious thing in a person's life today is their time. Time's more valuable than money. People would rather give money than give you your time. Maybe a, maybe a sacrifice of time. Maybe somebody would say, you know, I'm willing to go uh, twice a week for an hour and a half to Scott Taze Elementary and work with uh, elementary kids so they can hear the name Jesus. Maybe there are people who say, "You know, I'm going to be. I, I think I'm going to join uh, what's happening with with upward. I'm going to I'm going to be a part of that, so that people can hear about Jesus. I, I'm willing to make that sacrifice of my energy and my time. I don't know." Uh, maybe you, you're you willing to put a, a relationship at risk you know somebody that really 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 needs to hear Jesus but you've been afraid that they're going to think you're out of your mind and you're saying I'm willing to put my I'm willing to put this relationship at risk so that they can hear about Jesus so what is what is the God who speaks saying to you let's bow our heads let's close our eyes and more than important